Welcome to PantherCast, the official podcast of TMI Episcopal, where we share stories from our alumni, updates about the school, and help you reconnect and discover what the TMI community is all about. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of TMI's PantherCast podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Director of Community Relations. And joining me today is Christine Lampreya, TMI class of 2007 and world-renowned cellist. After graduating from TMI, Christine earned her bachelor's at the Juilliard School and then her master's from the New England Conservatory of Music. She has been hailed a firebrand and noted for her supreme panache as a cellist. In March of this year, she was honored as a Sphinx Medal of Excellence winner and has performed as a soloist with the Detroit Symphony, Houston Symphony, and San Antonio Symphony, among others. Christine has performed around the globe in the U.S., Canada, and Europe in such venues as Alice Tully Hall, the Beethoven House, the Kennedy Center, Carnegie Hall, and Metropolitan Museum. This year, she has joined the faculty at Texas Christian University as a lecturer in cello. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Christine, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Well, why don't you start by telling me how old you were when you first started playing cello and how you got interested in it? Sure. Uh, my family had moved to San Antonio when I was in the third grade uh, to Leon Springs, and I enrolled in Leon Springs Elementary. And in the fifth grade, um, there was a, a after-school string class being offered to the students, and uh, he, the gentleman that was teaching the class came into uh, my music class in the daytime and uh, brought in a violin, viola, cello, and bass, and I was immediately attracted to not the cello, but the bass, <laughs> because of its uh, huge size, and uh, I also really enjoyed listening to jazz as a little kid. And so I just had this very romantic vision of me playing in a cafe in Paris somewhere with right bands on or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought this uh, idea to my parents at home who uh, had often played classical music for me and my younger sister Stephanie in the car, uh, but had never really been exposed in a deep way to classical music. Uh, so I brought the idea of me playing the bass to them, and they said, well, does it fit in our car? And we looked outside, and uh, while I have seen basses crammed into smaller mm -hmm. cars at the time, I didn't know that, I didn't think it would be able to fit. Uh, so I said, no, I don't think so. And they said, well, what's the next biggest one? And I said, the cello. And they are like, okay, well, try that. And that's the... A very inspiring story of how I that's really <laughs> it's really interesting though it's a fun fun story what was it once you started playing cello what was it about the cello that made you fall in love with it um I think it was uh I don't know if I fell in love till a few years later I think it was more I had a natural facility with it, and I liked mm -hmm. figuring it out. Um, I was always pretty good at math as a as a kid, and so I think something about that had to um, play a part in me just kind of figuring out how to make it work, and um, and that it 
came, it felt like it, uh, came easier to me. And so, uh, I played it and then I went to, uh, Stinson Middle School, um, and in orchestra, we had, I was enrolled in middle school orchestra and I started just really enjoying it more and, uh, a middle school teacher enjoyed, uh, suggested that I join a youth orchestra. Uh, so I joined the youth orchestra of San Antonio and one of my first concerts there, I really fell in love with it. So around the seventh or eighth grade. Wow. So what was it like as you were growing up and getting older to balance playing the cello at an increasingly advanced level as you grew up through the years and balancing that with school, including when you eventually got here to TMI? Well, yeah, it was it was difficult for sure. Um, I wouldn't say it's funny because um, playing an instrument is one that requires a lot of discipline uh, and a lot of devotion. And I think there's a quote by uh, Pavarotti, the great opera singer that passed on a few years ago that said, uh, that he wasn't disciplined, he was devoted. And I would say that I am similar. I am a very devoted person, but it was very hard for me to find discipline as a young person. <laughs> so I uh, I just, I found myself practicing when I didn't feel like doing homework. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also uh, don't know if I put in a lot of the time that uh, many great musicians say that they you know, practice scales when they were kids from 6 a.m. to to 8 a.m. before they went to school. And then after school, they did their homework and practice from 7 to 10 or something like that. My, I never did that. And we never, my parents never knew to do that. They just wanted me to pursue things that I liked. And they exposed me to as many things as possible to, and just waited for us to latch on to something that we enjoyed. And luckily I ran into the cello but, um, yeah, it was difficult, especially when I went to TMI, because TMI is such a rigorous academic environment. But uh, I think it was really good, because I think it really tested my love for the instrument. I knew that I had to um, really take steps to devote myself uh, in a more meaningful way. But it also uh, prepared me for college because well I went to the Juilliard School Conservatory where most people are you know know they're going to be a musician from when Mm -hmm. they're really young and I didn't really choose to pursue that path till my junior year of high school but I felt so much more I don't know uh, academically well-rounded compared Mm -hmm. to a lot of my colleagues in conservatory and I think I have TMI to thank a lot for that because it really opened my eyes and I feel like even now I have a much wider perspective of of life than the insular one of playing the cello and being in the practice room twenty four seven and and music and now it's a now it's a now I practice I do practice a lot but um, <laughs> how many but hours do, would you say you practice now? Oh too many. <laughs> <laughs> no I uh this year is a uh, well, so up to this, before this year, I was performing mainly as a, 
mostly performing, just uh, mm-hmm. traveling as a as a soloist with orchestra or playing recitals, um, chamber music, but chamber music being um, small, smaller chamber, smaller ensembles, uh, smaller than an orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was mostly performing and focusing on developing my career. This year I'm teaching at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth. So I have 10 students and I have uh, about a 16-hour week. So finding time to practice is a little more difficult, but I still do try to manage to practice about four hours a day uh, on my own. That's a lot of definitely devotion. So Yeah, and... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, so tell me a little bit more. You mentioned your path of having this actually become a career, and a lot of people find that music will fit into their life as more of a hobby. When did you decide and know, you said it was a little bit later on, that you actually decided that cello was going to be more than that for you, that it was actually going to become a career? Tell me about that path. Yeah, I went to a music festival um, in the summer but between my junior and senior years in the Berkshires, which are uh, mountains in uh, Massachusetts, and there's a uh, kind of a little retreat there called Tanglewood. Uh, I think it sounds smaller than it is. It's actually a beautiful set of uh, a beautiful piece of land with two world-class halls, and that's the summer home of the Boston Symphony. Mm. And they had a festival for uh, pre-professional musicians that were just out of conservatory looking for uh, positions in orchestras. And then they also had a high school program that I was able to attend. And being in a community surrounded by other kind of like-minded young people and also seeing the Boston Symphony play every day almost with these monumental uh, works of the classical repertoire and also at such a high level it was so um, inspiring and I mm-hmm. I just in that summer I came back home and I was like okay I need to need to get serious here and <laughs> start <laughs> thinking about how I can really make that uh, make that brief six weeks uh, serious a uh, more serious reality in my for the rest of my life is that when you started looking at the possibility of going to Juilliard and taking taking this to the next level? Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, I studied privately with the principal cellist of the San Antonio Symphony, Ken Freudigman, mm-hmm. and I, we've been, I've been studying with him for uh, two years. I had another teacher before that, and... Um, but I hadn't articulated that, that I wanted to become a professional musician to him yet. Uh, I think he saw me as a talented student that practiced every so often. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so I came back and I said, Mr. Ferdinand, I'd like to, you know, see what I can do to be a professional musician. And he was a little taken aback. And then he said, okay, well, we need to start, um, you know, working together more often, come mm-hmm. twice a week instead of once a week. Uh, and he gave my family a slightly discounted rate to make that possible, which I was so grateful for. And um, he he really was uh, pushing me to 
think big, I guess, in terms of Juilliard and stuff like that. But I also did apply to a lot of um, double degree programs, like Mm -hmm. um, University of Rochester and uh, has the Eastman School of Music, and they also have a very um, well-known engineering program, I think, and Mm -hmm. Uh, this was already a while ago, so now my memory's going. But um, and then other places like Northwestern and Columbia had a joint degree program with Juilliard as well. And um, so I, I think I was accepted to the University of Rochester and Eastman one, and uh, because I had I did continue my love for math. Actually, mm-hmm. um, I had some great teachers and a TMI and I took AP calculus and um, it was kind of another, I just found myself really good at it um, and I enjoyed doing the work. Um, but then in the end, I, I figured that my history with multitasking wasn't that great. So I thought I would just <laughs> try Juilliard first and see what would happen. And then here I am and it's still happening. Well, you definitely picked the right path. And you've been playing professionally all around the world with, I think, some of the most recognizable recognizable names in the symphonic world. So tell me, what has been the highlight of your career thus far? Oh, gosh, that's a, a very difficult question. Um, you know, uh, so when I was in the second year of my master's degree at, any, at New England Conservatory in Boston, um, I was, uh, well, I did work very hard, but I was fortunate enough to win, uh, a few different competitions that allowed me to, to play in these venues and kind of, uh, put my career in a different, more, uh, visible level. And, uh, while playing in halls, like great halls, like Carnegie and, um, Alice Tully are wonderful. It's really the relationships with different musicians that stick in my brain mm-hmm. the most. Um, uh, playing with Itzhak Perlman, um, I had the pleasure of meeting him because he has a summer festival um, on in Shelter Island, which is kind of in Long it's in Long Island, New York, and uh, so there I studied chamber music. And he was one of my coaches. And then during the year, that program uh, holds various events, and they also do an annual uh, chamber music tour, and they they select certain students to join him on tour. So I was selected with four other people, so we did a tour of three cities that year. And that was such a special experience because you get to know such a great musical mind at uh, more intimate, in a more intimate space. and see how human they are, mm-hmm. um, and that these great musicians aren't uh, anomalies. They, mm-hmm. I mean, they are in some sense, but they're not some mystical creature that mm-hmm. you know appeared somehow. They really are humans that did the work and love what they do, and were fortunate enough to be in a circumstance where they could continue doing what they love to do, um, and that he's he's a very humble person and very generous with his time and uh, that was a huge highlight and a couple of other instances that I could uh, wax poetic about for another half hour Mm -hmm. but uh, mostly 
meeting great musicians that are humble and generous with their time. Um, those are the highlights for me, for sure, and something I want to do um, mm-hmm. going forth for other people. Paying it forward, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I recently read in one of your profiles that you have that you continually work to expand your musical boundaries by exploring many different genres of music. And you mentioned earlier that jazz was one of your original loves of music. Tell me, what is your most favorite type of music to actually play? Um, well, I I will say that, that classical is, is one of them, that mm-hmm. is pretty much the... Um, the meat of what I play and what I really love. I love playing Bach. I love playing Brahms, Beethoven, the, the kind of standard composers. Um, I started playing a lot of kind of uh, contemporary music, contemporary music being uh, music written by classical composers, um, you know, in the last 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh it's funny for pop music, contemporary means the last, last three, <laughs> four years, and classical music is something very different. But mm-hmm. um, so exploring classical contemporary music, something that uh, engaged my my ears in a different way and mm-hmm. gave me a lot of confidence because the the repertoire of Brahms and Bach and Beethoven, there have been countless monumental recordings of those of those pieces. And with contemporary music, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's open, open to your interpretation, and there's not really a wrong way of doing things. And so, mm-hmm. uh, not, and I've discovered through that, uh, well, I, I gained confidence through that music um, in my interpretations of the more standard repertoire, because I, I just realized, like, there's no wrong way of doing it, you know, so... Um, in that way, studying contemporary music helped that. Mm-hmm. But then after studying contemporary music, you know, I started kind of venturing into arranging a little bit. And um, recently I've been, uh, because my parents are of, uh, they were both born in Colombia, South America, and came to the United States when they were young. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I grew up with a lot of uh, Colombian and Latin music of many different kinds growing up. Um, and that's been something that has always stayed with me, a love for that and um, the very unique character of it, the rhythmic character, the um, vulnerability of it. I've always really enjoyed it. So I experimented with, I've been experimenting with arranging mm-hmm. Colombian music lately and that's um, that's been really fun to do. I like playing that. And again, I think it's, it's, I, I love playing everything for different reasons, mm-hmm. I think. So I can't say I have a favorite thing to play. And I think everything I, all the projects I do inform other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of cool to draw connections. That is. To those. So, um, so I think that's what I, when I can draw a connection to other things or make a metaphor out of it or something, that's that's kind of the part where I, my eyes widen and I get really excited. So. Yeah, that is exciting. And just being able to have that experience to learn the different things, push your boundaries, you're also able to 
help young students you're teaching now, but you were actually, during your time at the Juilliard School, you worked with some Ecuadorian youth in the cities of Quito and Guayaquil. I hope I said that yes, right. Guayaquil. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so you're sharing your music that way too. What did the experience, that experience, teach you in music? Um, that was an incredible experience. Um, we went for two weeks, one week in Quito, one week in Guayaquil, and I was able to. Um, uh, well, I had to learn how to teach in Spanish for the first time, and mm-hmm. uh, which which proved more difficult than I. Well, it was difficult and not difficult because I I'd heard it a lot in my youth, so I know general vocabulary and I can converse with people about most things. Um, and then also I had uh, Miss Sobervinas in mm-hmm. in the Spanish class there at TMI, and she was very helpful. Um, but I'd never learned musical terms in Spanish and how to talk about music in Spanish. So um, I kind of did a quick crash course on the plane there and then teaching them in Spanish. They were very patient with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was their enthusiasm. They were such like sponges for information. It was so much fun to teach them. And that was my first real serious teaching experience and I knew that was something that I wanted to incorporate into my career at some point um, when I had the chance. Is that part of what drew you to TCU and where you're at now, being able to teach cello? Yeah, I. so this is a one-year position. I'm uh, substituting for the professor here, Jesus Castrobaldi is his name, a wonderful cellist, um, also has a, uh, had a plethora of experiences performing in the great halls of the world and in Europe. Um, he uh, actually was a judge for the 2013 Thinks competition that I won. Hmm. And then uh, he also happened to be a judge in a competition I did in Mexico in 2016 uh, that I also uh, received one of the top prizes. And so we had a couple of conversations after that experience, uh, this, the, the latter experience in Mexico, and just about career, about uh, music, and we found some common de- not denominators in how we interpret the music of Bach, and, um, and then we kind of left it at that, and, uh, you know, we kept in touch a little bit, but um, then he called me uh, in, I guess, this past March, uh, mm-hmm. saying he was going on sabbatical and uh, that they needed someone to cover the studio, and he thought I might be a good fit. So I went through the whole application process, and it was an you know an open um, search for a cello teacher to come, and uh, and I went and auditioned and uh, interviewed, and I think there were other really qualified candidates, but. Um, I was lucky that they thought I was a good fit. So, um, and it's, I was very lucky because I, I don't have a doctorate at this point and it's very hard to get one of those positions, uh, without a doctorate unless you have commensurate experience, mm-hmm. performance experience, which I, I, I just do. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, I've only been performing for about five years. Um, 
since I graduated from school, but luckily it's been quite busy since Mm -hmm. then, so um, they felt comfortable having me at the school, and it's been so fulfilling being here, working with 10 students, and Mm -hmm. um, they're all talented and very, um, very open and very kind people. Um, It's been, I feel like actually I've been playing better Mm -hmm. since knowing them because there's something to playing on your own and performing on your own and practicing on your own. You know, there's not many people to hold you accountable. Uh, The only thing holding you accountable really is uh, technically accountable is just being, you know, the concert, you know, Mm -hmm. the the audience there. You can't disappoint them to a certain level, you know. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, preaching to these kids about certain concepts that I want them to get better at. I, I leave the lesson and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, I need to actually take my own advice. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so then I go and practice. And, and I think I've been sounding a lot better. So I'm very grateful to, to Dr. Castrovaldi at TCU, to the students for mm-hmm. giving me this opportunity. So now that you've had this opportunity and this experience, what do you think the future holds for you? Are you going to try to continue teaching more or focus on traveling and performing again? I think uh, for the next few years, I'm going to keep performing and traveling and expanding my career. Um, I kind of have my sights on expanding into Europe a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe, you know, record a couple of, um, albums. I, I've been hesitant to do that just because there's so many great cello recordings out there, but I think um, I think I'm at the point where I, I just mm-hmm. really have to put out some material. Um, Are you going to work and on I'm, I'm composing? To be, uh, composing, I have a deep respect for um, through my arranging. I've realized how difficult it mm-hmm. is and I do enjoy it a lot, but it does require a lot of serious time mm-hmm. um, that I I am practicing and main, simply maintaining my craft is, takes a lot of time as well. So I will try to compose or arrange anything if I do have time, but uh, at this point it will be um, more secondary. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so mostly performing and traveling and um, but I do eventually, I think I would like a, to balance that with teaching in a serious way at some point. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, it depends on kind of what comes up at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, what advice would you give to aspiring musicians who are interested in pursuing a career in music? I think seeking out uh, lessons. Um, you know, professional lessons by an experienced professional is really important. Um, you know, I think I've heard of, I think the mis- there's a big misconception about talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I often get uh, very well-meaning compliments about how I'm so talented. And I do think I, I do have an innate talent for mm-hmm. the cello, but Talent really won't take you anywhere until you do serious work, mm-hmm. um, cultivating it. And, um, you know, talent is just a little stepping stone to, uh, 
developing a real sense of musicianship, of being able to perform consistently. Um, I That requires a lot of time and cultivation that um, should not be underestimated. And I think everyone, all real, all professional musicians have underestimated that at some point, and I've underestimated it at mm-hmm. different times that I won't divulge here. <laughs> 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 but um, I've, I've, I've learned, I've, I've made my mistakes, and I've learned, and I'm sure I'll make a few more mistakes, and I've learned, but um, just to take that, take the commitment to being a great musician very seriously and not relying on just talent mm-hmm. um, is, is the advice that I would give. That's great advice. So before we finish up, tell me a little bit more about your time at TMI. Why don't you start by telling me what clubs and organizations were you involved in while you were here at TMI? Um, I was in ROT, or JROTC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in the Corps of Cadets the whole time I was there. I, I joined as a freshman I joined TMI as a freshman, and I think one of the first friends I made was in the Corps of Cadets. So, again, not a most inspired beginning, but mm-hmm. um, I did I did enjoy it. Um, I did learn a lot about organization and leadership and uh, working with others, mm-hmm. which is a huge part of music because you're always collaborating with other people. Um and music, in a way, is much more difficult in terms of working with people because we're talking about really abstract mm-hmm. things, um, you know, conveying conveying sounds that nobody can really hold mm-hmm. in their hands, you know. So uh, the core of cadets really prepared me and um, how to talk to people, and I think I did have an upper hand when I... Um, entered music more Mm full-time. What else did I do? I played softball. Um, I did play volleyball, not that well. Um, (laughs) I did a lot of of honors and AP courses at school, and um, I played in the choir concerts, and uh, I think I played in... um, uh, Sweeney Todd. I was like in a little mm-hmm. three-person band for that, mm-hmm. uh, which was fun. Um, yeah, just a kind of. I'm probably forgetting a couple of things, but um, I'm, you know, I. Um, it's funny because some people say, "Oh well, TMI didn't have you know an orchestra program or something like that. How did you manage to to keep up the cello?" And I would say that I'm very grateful that music didn't totally usurp my life in in high school because I was able to develop such a well-rounded view of mm-hmm. um, of the world. And the concept of servant leadership, I think that is still in the mission, right? Yes, at CMI. it definitely um, is. That concept definitely stuck with me. Um, I think in has stuck with me in my work um, as I've as I've gone through all this crazy journey with music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's something that helped me uh, when I received uh, a Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship for New Americans uh, that helped pay for my grad school. Mm-hmm. 
kind of, I, they talked, one of the questions I remember for that was, they were asking about my, my, um, my story as an immigrant and my, my parents are actually the immigrants. I mm-hmm. was born here, but their story really inspired me. Uh, their very hard work to make my life possible, to make a life at TMI possible, um, really inspired me to pay it forward to other people, to be a servant leader. And TMI kind of cemented that idea in my mind and, um, and being a musician and being of service mm-hmm. to others, um, you know, not necessarily, you know, while I do, you know, go play it, I'll play like at a homeless shelter, play for people, but being of service with the highest level of work that I can do mm-hmm. um, as a musician, being the best musician I can be and serving great, you know, big audiences and stuff like that and impacting people, um, that's something that the servant leadership mission at DMI really uh, helped cement in my brain. That's very well said. Tell me, what was your best TMI memory you have? My best TMI memory. Oh, man. Um, I think it would be the homecoming weekends were always really fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Founders Day was always really fun. Um, I think soft. I, I really did enjoy playing softball a lot. Um, I developed... Uh, some early knee issues, so I had to stop, which coincidentally ended up with that extra pocket of time. I ended up practicing the cello more, so you know you can say what you will about things happening for a reason. But um, I some of the softball games were like really one of those fun moments I had at TMI for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. So your website is www.christinelamprea.com. Where else yes, can our... it's mm-hmm. currently um, it's currently under construction because um, I'm having some trouble with it, but it will be up and running soon, I promise, friends. Perfect. <laughs> your photos are beautiful. I saw um, because you've got the one on there right now of for your landing page, just you and the cello, beautiful photography that was done. Thank you. Where can our listeners learn more about you if they want to follow you? You have, I believe, YouTube and Instagram? Yeah, I do have YouTube and Instagram, and I have a Facebook page. Um, I do have a Twitter, though I'm not there as as frequently. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so mostly I post right now since my, I'm still trying to figure out some website issues. I'm posting most of my concerts and recent happenings on Facebook and Instagram. So uh, Lemprea Cello, I think, is the handle for both of those things. Wonderful. I'll put those in the show notes. Is there anything okay. anything else you'd like to share with our community before we wrap up? Um, that everyone should go support the San Antonio Symphony. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. They are an incredible organization, uh, great group of musicians of the highest caliber. I think San Antonio is incredibly lucky to have them and mm-hmm. um, and uh, and they're def- they really, most of the members had some part in my development as a musician. Uh, there's some great ticket deals. It's really not hard to go and enjoy them and 
Uh, also, classical music is not meant for the elite. It is music that was composed to express the most vulnerable, real emotions that humans can express. And um, don't be afraid of it. Just go enjoy mm-hmm. it and don't try to understand it. Just feel and enjoy it. That's it. I love that. Well, this has been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure, Stephanie. Thanks for asking me to be here. Thank you for listening to TMI's PantherCast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback and show ideas, so leave us a comment, email, or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter using at TMI Episcopal. For more news, ways to connect, and to learn about upcoming events on campus, visit our website at www.tmi-sa.org.